Hey everyone, James Labrie from Dream Theater, and you're listening to or watching the podcast Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. Enjoy this. These guys are extremely informative. I love their dialogue. I love their interpretation of the songs, who and what we are, what we were going after. They're very uh, accurate in their uh, interpretations and descriptions. And uh, just I just think this is a great show. And these guys are doing a, a stand-up stellar job. So once again, enjoy Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater-centric podcast. I am your host, John. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, and the CMS Network Rumble page. We are no longer on the CMS Network YouTube page because that does not exist. It was banned permanently for multiple content strikes so we got to change our intro video too but anyways we are at those locations every other thursday at 7 30 p.m eastern standard time if you are watching on our youtube channel please do not forget to click that like button click that subscribe button and smash the notification bell so that you are notified every time we go live without further ado uh let me bring on my new co-host uh, since, you know, I haven't had one for the past two months. Uh, his name is Brian Hendrickson. What is up, Brian? Nice to meet you. Good evening, Jonathan. It's great to do the first show 2023. <laughs> man, are, oh, man. Are, are you combobulated now? Er, earlier, I was extremely discombobulated. I think we all were. What is, what is going on? We I can't know. just, like, do a show and have a show and just everything goes smooth. So I've got a Queensryche background. <laughs> and that's only it has nothing to do with uh, uh, tonight's topic of Sons of Apollo. But, uh, yeah, all of my backgrounds are gone. I don't know what in the world happened. Um, this is not the normal camera I use. And my mouse isn't working. But aside from that, we are going to do a show tonight. Yes. Well, I, well hope, let's, you know, no offense, <laughs> but let, let's hope that, that, the, that the tech problems are on your end tonight and not mine. I, once again, have been screwing with my Internet and... Uh, <laughs> Apparently, it's the building material in my house that is interfering with the signal. So, uh, fingers but, crossed that everything. But wait goes a minute, well. we we are officially banned now. That's that's kind of cool. I don't think I've ever been banned from anything before. Okay, we aren't banned, you and I, but because the classic metal show was on the CMS Network YouTube page, and they kept getting content strikes. And the thing about it is, and we'll get to the topic in a quick second, but so. Aiken had a whole bunch of the old stuff on there. He wasn't posting new things on there because they kept getting nailed for content stuff. Well, YouTube kept going back and looking at old videos. Like some some of the strikes they got were for stuff that's like 10 years old. And they finally got so many strikes that they deleted the channel. So, I see. you know, that's why we are now on the CMS uh, Network Rumble page. So if you are looking for the CMS Network YouTube page, it is not there. Go to Rumble and look for the CMS Network, and we are there. So um, as for your background, see, you needed to come up with a better excuse. What you should have <laughs> said is, I picked a Queensryche background because we're not talking about a Dream Theater album tonight, but we are talking about 
a dream theater ish kind of band. So I picked another dream theater ish kind of band. Just you know, cover it a little bit, and you would have been good. <laughs> so now, this is what we call a super group. Uh, let's just do a real brief rundown. Where do you stand on the the concept of super groups in general? Um, they don't affect me one way or the other. I, I'm I'm not against it. I, I you know I, it's you know if guys want to jam in a band, it's you know it's cool. Uh, a lot of times you get some damn good music out of it. You know I'm thinking like damn Yankees. Even though I hate Ted Nugent and wish I could trade you know him for Eddie Van Halen with God. Um, uh, damn Yankees comes to mind. Um, Chicken That's Foot. Chicken you know? Foot. Yeah, I did not write down Damn Yankees. That's a good one. I have Contraband, which was in the 80s. They did one mm-hmm. or two albums that didn't do anything. Yep. Adrenaline Mob. Kind yeah, of that's a, a good one. Group, I guess. Um, I'm not sure about their original material so much. Winery Dogs. I like what they do. Maybe it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but I respect it. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's one that I don't think worked too well. Brides of Destruction. Yeah, Remember that was kind of... Yeah. <laughs> Tracy Guns and uh, Nikki Six. Nikki Six, yeah. Uh, I've got The Firm, Jimmy Page and Paul Rogers, Tony Franklin and Chris Slade. That's a pretty big powerhouse. I don't know that the albums were great. But uh, yeah, another interesting one, HSAS. I, that's the next one I was going to bring <laughs> up. I, obviously, being Sammy Hagar. The, now, question on that one, though, because uh, Kenny Aronson and Michael Shreve, were they considered like, or was it really just like the super group thing was, you know, <laughs> Neil Sean and uh, I think Sammy Kenny, Hagar. Kenny, Kenny Aronoff, who was a longtime uh, John Cougar drummer. Um, Are you sure of, it was Aronoff? Was he in that, or am I thinking I, of someone else? In Sammy Hagar's biography, he said it was Aronson. Okay, then I've got the two guys wrong. Yeah, I think you, those you guys might be were right. more, more studio guys anyway. Okay. Um, I do not think that album was too good at all, honestly. HSAS, really? Yeah, I'm not too impressed with it. that. I might have to okay. go back and listen to that for my initial impressions. But uh, Our next Black, deep dive. Uh, <laughs> uh, Derek himself is in another one, Black Country Communion. Oh, good example. That's about as uh, big. So, yeah, I, I think Sons of Apollo is one of the – I think it maybe works about half the time. Uh, the rest of the other half I don't know. But uh, Sons of Apollo, I think, I think they – I think they got something going there on these on these two albums, and we're going to jump into the first one here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, Kale McLeish, good to see you, man. He says, Psychotic Symphony, let's go. We're talking about two-fifths of your favorite album's lineup. Yeah, that 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 is not lost on me, Kale. I just, you know, the, 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 the allure of this project when they first announced it was that fact that it was Sherinian writing with Portnoy again. So that was, you know, that was definitely what I was looking forward to. Uh, Chastity Crawley, great to see you. She says, hey, all excited for this live. Missed you last time. Well, don't feel bad, Chastity. Everybody missed us last time. <laughs> so <laughs> you were not alone. Um, Kale also says, Arion, if I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, Ultimate Prog Supergroup, though they're predominantly a studio project. And Chastity is a big Winery Dogs fan. She's Portnoy and Winery Dogs equals amazing. Uh, I just I can't get into Winery Dogs because... I, Chris Cornell is an incredibly talented singer, but I can't stand the sound of his voice. And to me, Richie Kotzen sounds almost identical to him. And Billy Sheehan, and you know, we'll, we'll this will be our segue into you know tonight's topic. B- Billy Sheehan, for as phenomenal of a player as he is, he is the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of bass tone. He just has a horrible bass tone. So when you put him in a power trio where you can really hear that separated out in the mix. I just don't like the tone. Some of the tones of Winery Dogs just don't do it for me. 
even though the talent is absolutely staggering. So you definitely don't get like a groove, um, you know, when your bass tone is like that. But uh, real quick, I wonder. I did a little bit of research. The guy who mastered this album mm-hmm. is a guy by the name of Paul Logus, and not, not to be confused with <laughs> Paul Logue, but it's L O G U S. Very interesting. Some of the other things he mastered: uh, Adrenaline Mob. Okay. Um, Shadows Fall. Hell yeah. Ooh. The last two Anthrax albums, For All Kings and Worship Music. Oh, those sound great. Yeah. Uh, Clutch, um, Winery Dogs, and a reissue they did of basically what I considered the greatest metal metal core album of all time, Disarm the Descent, Kill Switch. He did, I guess they did a limited edition remaster or something, and he was on there. So that was very interesting when I saw that. But okay. uh, it's kind of interesting because this was one of those where – you always want to go back and say, okay, they didn't have a producer. It was just basically, you know, Portnoy and the band. And I would be interested to see, do the same album again and have a producer, and what is the outcome? Just a thought to ponder. Yeah, I'm with that. Uh, Robert Husted checking in. Good to see you, man. He, uh, But he is risking getting banned from the chat. Uh, he says, Brian's background is one of the best albums of all time. Might even be better than the first Mind Crime. See, see, Robert, it's obvious you're kidding, but we don't joke about that on this show. That is, that, that, that is a no-no topic on, on talking into infinity. I, I hope that there's people out there that really think it's better. That would be absolutely amazing. If, if there are, I want them on this show. I do, because, like, hey, I, I want to know what you're hearing. Like, I would just love to, I'd love to get inside your mind, or or oh. is there anything in there at all? But, I mean, hey, that would be quite a concept if somebody thinks it's better. Yeah. Ugh. It's one thing not. to be like, I don't mind it, or it's it's not as bad as you think, but to actually go say that it's better. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. Ooh. So one, la- one last note on Billy Sheehan. I wanted to tell you this. This is interesting, and then we'll get into the deep dive. Um, so... The bass player in my cover band is stepping down at the end of the year, so we have to find a replacement. And there's this guy that we know, or at least familiar with, and we jammed with him, and we have another jam coming up with him. Uh, phenomenal player, really nice guy, but his idol is Billy Sheehan to the point where his basses all look like him. You know, he does the seafoam green. He's got the two input thing, and unfortunately, he also tries to mimic the tone pretty closely. <laughs> now he and he can play a lot of Sheehan stuff, which is awesome. The guy is a killer player. But we're just like, oh, my God. So how tone. well did that go over the first practice when you heard the tone? <sighs> well, that was my first thing because when I saw when I saw his bases on Facebook, I was like, I was like, OK, like, please don't have the tone. And he, and he kind of does. And it's like, ugh. but thankfully, our sound guy is really good and he can he can mess with it, you know, kind of doctor it up. So it is what it is. So. All right. Well, let's. Uh, oh, look at this. Okay, all right, Kale wants a quick story. Okay. Hey, John, before we get on to tonight's topic, can you tell us the full story of what you posted on Facebook yesterday with the Dream Theater quote-unquote fan? Yeah, so uh, for those of you who are not friends with me on Facebook, I posted some some guy tried to post up on me no. on, a, on, a, on a Facebook article. Hey, John, about, can you not? I'll follow that up. No. <laughs> well, I mean, it's simple enough. The guy, he was, he basically, like, the guy tried to say he was a bigger fan than me because he has, you know, I go back to 92 and I have the scenes from, the live live scenes from New York CD with the burning uh, city on the cover. 
And I'm like, okay, first of all, dude, like I have that, but I have it autographed, so I win there. Um, <laughs> but the reason it started was because the guy was just destroying the band. He he was like, it, and what it was, it was actually Dream Theater's actual page, and they, you know, it'll pop up like, hey, Cleveland, we're coming to your town, blah 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 blah, blah or hey, Newport, Kentucky, like it's you know the paid ad or whatever. And on the Cleveland one, this nitwit, he was like. Dream Theater sucked since Portnoy left and songwriting's crap and everything's garbage and the albums are down and the band is... Blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I commented back. I said, dude, you're not even a fan talking like that. Why are you even commenting? That was what I said. And then he came back with his shit about, I've been with them since 92 and I have the CD. I'm like, dude, like, please. I'm like, if that's all you got, like, just step off. And he, And what ended up happening was now I can't see any comments on that thread. Apparently... <laughs> Got blocked off of commenting on that post, but I'm like, dude, like, you know, oh, don't even like my. I'm not gonna fan cred on you. I'm not gonna be that guy. But suffice it to say, if all you have is, I've been listening since '92, and I have a rare CD that pretty much all the hardcore Dream Theater fans have. That's you're gonna need more evidence than that if you're gonna try and, you know, out fan somebody. So. Well, when you yeah. said he was the bigger fan, I thought maybe like he stepped on a scale next to you or something, and you just like compared <laughs> the two numbers. And I was like, wow, this guy must be pretty big. <laughs> if if he's over two forty one, he's got me beat. So there you go. So, all right. So let's get into tonight's topic. Finally, since we've been trying to do this for like two months, literally. Um, it sucks that Jeff Scott Soto went on tour because we actually had Aiken reach out and see if we could get Jeff Scott Soto on here to actually do the deep dive with us. Uh, but he is on tour and was not able to, so maybe we, we're going to revisit that when we, you know, obviously we're going to get into MMXX at some point. But uh, Brian and I definitely wanted to get into Sons of Apollo's first record, Psychotic Symphony. This is, I think this is an awesome record. Uh, when they announced the project, I was, like I said, very, very excited because of the fact that Portnoy and Sherinian were writing again, I thought that was really cool. And I just, you know, I as soon as they announced the lineup, it was interesting to me to hear because, full disclosure, I I wasn't really familiar with Bumblefoot outside of the fact that I knew he was in Guns N' Roses. I'm like, what the hell are they doing with some guy that just played in Guns N' Roses? Like, what the hell is that? Not knowing he was light years beyond that. <laughs> so... Um, but obviously, I knew Billy Sheehan and you know Jeff Scott Soto. This was really my first introduction to his voice, and I fucking loved it. So this album, I really enjoyed right off the bat, and, and it's it's grown on me even more as time has gone on. So, but my first initial reaction to it was I really enjoyed it. What what was your first like visceral reaction to Psychotic Symphony when you first checked it out? I liked it a lot. It was cool to see Jeff back in kind of a full band setting because, honestly, you know, he was linked to Ingve, and he did that one album, Soul Circus, I believe, with uh, Neil yeah. Schoen, which is a really cool album, but I don't even think you can find it on Spotify. It's kind of a hard album to find. But yeah. he generally sort of just surrounds himself with, you know, people he knows and does studio things, and, and the guy's been on, I don't know, something, like, ridiculous, like, probably... Probably close to two, three hundred different actual songs, and who knows? I'm guessing close to fifty, sixty albums at this point. Right. And I think he just sounds better than ever. I mean, we saw him right before the pandemic, and I mean, he he sounded like he'd stepped on the stage, you know, back when I saw him in 1985. You know, coming coming out, and all the smokes going around with Ingve, and I'll see the light tonight, and he just belting at the top of his lungs. I mean, the guy's voice didn't hadn't changed at all, and, and 
you know, over 30 years. I think he just sounds amazing. He's in great physical shape. I don't know what he does to keep himself that way, but he, he obviously takes care of his voice and himself. And uh, I, I was pretty pretty damn impressed with this with this album. I mean, it's not it's not super melodic, I don't think, but but I think his vocals and we'll get into this. I think his vocals save some songs. Yep. I, it's it's funny that you mentioned that you know your point about it being melodic i to me sons of apollo is an awesome counterpoint to dream theater and i actually backed up uh this morning i listened to psychotic symphony again and then i listened to view from the top of the world just to kind of really you know get a feel for the differences in the bands and my initial feeling when i started writing my notes for the deep dive really came to fruition doing that because you know I kind of always have looked at Sons of Apollo as a heavier, a little less proggy and a little less melodic version of Dream Theater. You know, it's like they've the, the prog moments are more weird as a you know they don't have as much melody in them. Uh, it's definitely you know the more drop tune type heavy stuff. Uh, there, there's not almost no moments that are light and stuff. You don't get a you know, out of reach. You don't get a, you know, beyond this life, any of that stuff, you know, with Sons of Apollo. So I think when you when you listen to them back to back, they just complement each other so well if you're into this style of music. So I, I think you're, you're spot on with the whole melody thing. But I don't think it's, like, I don't think there's a lack of melody that, to the point where it takes away from your enjoyment of it or you can say well there's no choruses or there's there's nothing to sing along to or there's no catchy riffs like i don't i don't think it's to that level i don't know if you agree with that or not no i think you're pretty pretty close there it's also interesting too going back and re-listening to this now having heard that the second album which what's what is that 2021 is that what it spells out i can't remember or is it 2020 2020 2020. okay and there, there is definitely, I think, a growth, um, especially in the sort of the way that specifically Derek sort of approaches the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, this is more just like, yeah, this is this is more kind of metal. Uh, to me, this is almost like Adrenaline Mob with better songwriting, you know, with with more melody. Really? Yeah, I, Adrenaline Mob. I just like I love their cover of Mob Rules, but I don't know the the original material on there. And Russell Allen's a just incredible singer, but I just did not, I couldn't find really any hooks on that stuff. And I didn't get into Adrenaline Mob either. And, uh, and the second album was even was even further, you know, away from that. But uh, yeah, this this is Portnoy. I think just you know, kind of wanting to be heavy and and you know, still throw some prog in, and it's pretty dark throughout most of it too. Yeah, that's and I think that's kind of what I dig about it. It's like I say to me, it's like an excellent counterpoint to Dream Theater, and it's it's close enough to Dream Theater where I think fans of the band enjoy it. And honestly, I'm not surprised Sons of Apollo didn't do better for that reason. Um, but I also think that it's you know far enough away that you get kind of a different flavor to it. So I for that reason, I just you know and live, I mean, holy shit. I mean, I've seen him twice now. I know, you know, your only time seeing was that that killer show we saw in Battle Creek, Michigan. But I mean, I've seen them twice, and holy crap! I mean, god damn it, it's well, just got just got Soto live. Holy shit, man! Well, like we said before, that this this is for sure an album that stands up way better live, um, and a band that stands up way better live than it does on record. You know, you just you just need that energy coming from from Portnoy and. 
Yeah. And she and jumping around and, and you know, Bumblefoot does his crazy thing and and Soto just sounds great, so great live. So yeah, this is it's just definitely the whole experience is better live. Yeah. Kale says I kind of feel like this album is falling into infinity going through the sound palette of Dark Eternal Night. That's not a bad way to describe it, Kale. Cause cause Dark Eternal Night is an awesome song and it's it's got some wonk to it, man. It's wonky in spots. So I think I think that's a good way to describe it. Um he also says I think this is possibly my third favorite thing that Portnoy has done since leaving Dream Theater. I love the first two Flying Colors albums, but Avenged Sevenfold's Nightmare album is brilliant. Uh, nothing Avenged Sevenfold has ever done is brilliant. I cannot <laughs> stand that band. I, ooh, I actually, actually agree with Kyle. I, I, Kale, I love that uh, Avenged Sevenfold album. And it's really cool hearing Portnoy play on that stuff, too. Like. I always have to kind of pinch myself and go, wait a second, when I'm listening to this, I forget that Portnoy's on that. <laughs> I just, I, I do not like M. Shadow's voice at all. And when they when they basically re-recorded the Black album like two albums ago or whatever, with three albums ago or whatever, <laughs> I'm like, geez, oh man, could you make it any more of a cash grab? Jesus. Well, if you didn't like his voice then, you definitely aren't going to like it now because it oh. hasn't gotten better. It's kind of gotten no. worse. <laughs> well, and I, I heard the new record is really weird and they're like, trying to do all this experimental crap i'm like stay in your lane dude i don't know what they're doing on that oh, well. that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> coming coming up in two weeks uh, talking yeah. to infinity um all right so let, let's dig into the tracks man uh obviously the opening track god of the sun uh the, i think the only surprise to me with this one is that it was a little mid-tempo for an opening track but i guess they don't really have i i they don't really have something that would be that big opening banger you know what i mean like something like with some speed to it or whatnot it's you know i think you could reverse tracks one and two um and i won't really talk about two till we get to it but i Mm -hmm. think the order maybe is a little off yeah i i could i could see doing coming home first um oh real quick uh chavez carlos which i assume is actually reverse but uh he says hello from mexico thanks for sharing with us cheers good to see you uh carlos or chavez whichever if it is if it is chavez is your first name then hey whatever but uh thanks for tuning into the show man good to see you appreciate you very much yeah um i i think you're onto something there with with coming home i think but but then again when i think about it it's i think god of the sun is is it's a good it's a good kind of like taste of what you're going to get you know, it's it's got a killer opening riff to it. Uh, all of them doing the unison parts are just is amazing. Um, you know, and, and I really think that that heavy part a- after they kind of do that mellow breakdown ish kind of thing, it's it's kind of like, OK, here, it's them saying, OK, here, here this this song is basically like, OK, here's what you're going to get. It's every little piece of what's to come in one little nicely concocted pile. So I, you know, for that reason, I think it's a very good opener. I just, you know, and and this is not a complaint. It's just, I, I'm I'm used to albums opening with a little more aggression. I think. So, uh, so what what do you think about this one? Yeah, I have it. Uh, I have it down. It's a massive orchestral symphonic gem. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nice. I mean, there's there's hints of cashmere in here. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, Okay. You know, I, lo- I love the five-minute mellow breakdown and a very cool Moog solo after that. And uh, 
I think right after that part is when it kind of really does feel the most dream theater-ish that this band ever really gets. You know, there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of the cool unison stuff going on, but mm-hmm. then it goes, after the guitar solo, there's that all that really heavy, dissonant, lower end, and there's all those big, giant accents and all that stuff. Yep. So it's a cool, cool big boomer of an opener, you know. I just, I guess maybe it goes a little long, and, and if you flip the openers, you know, or if you flipped coming home, maybe it might help a little. I don't know. I'm I'm not, you know, I don't hate it as an opener. I'm not saying that by any stretch. Yeah, I, I think I think that you know it's definitely like a nitpick to say, oh man, you know they should they should change it. But um, I guess this was the only song too, if I'm read this right, that uh, Derek had done most of this before they ever even got together, and he brought this in. I read that too. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, and his keys, I, dude. I just, man, I. I I love the sound of his keys and he does change it up a little bit here and there to kind of, you know, make it really interesting and but it's it's still that throwback kind of very 70s organ sound a lot of the time which is it's just cool man like you know the the middle part where it kind of sounds like a Casio keyboard it's like it just sounds almost junky but it, it works it it works really well and it's just man oh and by the way spe- speaking of that and that wonky part of the song, I would say, like, you know, after the breakdown and stuff like that, the guitar solo is amazing. So, I mean, Bumblefoot, yeah. I mean, if you haven't, if you're a fan of Sons of Apollo and you haven't watched live, live, uh, I forget if it's live at Plavdiv or from Plavdiv, whatever it was, but um, the live record that they put out, you got to check some of that out because watching Bumblefoot play guitar is just crazy like because he solos on that fretless thing which is how he gets that that kind of weird like slippery sound yeah. and but he, he's got a freaking thimble magnetically attached to the guitar and that's how when he does all the the, the it sounds like the the chattering the, yeah. the, the the super high chattering tapping it's it's done with a thimble so it's like that's I've never seen that before and when he's done with it he kind of clicks it back into place you know so but yeah this is this is this is a great tune, man. And I when I when I first heard this when the record dropped, I was like, all right, sweet. So um, moving on to track two, we have uh, probably the catchiest song on the record, potentially uh, coming home. I think this 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 is a perfect example of them. I think I think they did some really smart stuff on this one because they've got a couple songs on this record that are a lot more accessible. So it's kind. Of, I I think they reached out to some different facets of the prog fan base, you know, because you've got stuff like you know Opus Maximus and God of the Sun and you know Labyrinth, but then you've got Coming Home and Alive and uh, Divine Addiction. Like you know they've they've got those like more concise, straight ahead songwriting moments, and Coming Home is definitely a perfect example of it. Uh, it's a huge sing along again, going back to Live at Plavdiv at the end. He. He he walks out and uh, Jeff Scott Soto walks out in the crowd without the microphone, and he's just he's doing a sing along with the crowd. He, he's you know he's I'm coming home and they're and they're doing the the call and answer and he doesn't even have a microphone. You can hear him and the crowd can hear him. It's just it's an it's an amazing thing to watch. But uh, like I said, the chorus is huge. It's a super fat riff. Uh, the whole thing is just really catchy. So I think this I don't I don't know. If, I have another song that I might put up there, at least for me, that is as catchy as this one. But this is definitely one of the two catchiest songs on the record for me. Where do you stand on coming home? Yeah, there's there's a welcome to the jungle feel in the opening of those accented keyboard riffs. And uh, <laughs> as I always say, you you start a song with keyboards as the main riff synth, 
hey, that's a winner in my book. <laughs> right. You know, it kind of settles into this nice, heavy groove. Um, I think what stuck out to me, I mean, listen to that bass going, there's some Bon Jovi stuff going on in those <laughs> in yep. those bass lines, which is, you know, I guess is what makes it catchy and stuff. And uh, I don't know, it's so, the, if you picked up on this, there's that little descending guitar rift that goes each time after, there's a truth that I don't want to know, I'm doing the melody wrong, but each time there's yeah. like a little guitar just nuance thing he does each time that part comes up, and I love those little things that Bumblefoot throws in there like that. Yeah, the... Yeah, yep. And the first time it's like half time, and the second time he does it like twice as long. And I don't know, it's just... Normally that kind of stuff you hear in a song and it's annoying, but I think it's I think it's cool and it works on this one. Yeah. Um Kale, let me bring up your comment here. My internet's glitching again, as it likes to do. Um, oh, Mike, like Mike Lamagna says, "Hi, my first live show. That's awesome, man. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Glad you could make it." Uh, Kale says, "Coming home, one of the two quintessential tracks off this album. The chorus is huge. Even the Portnoy backing vocal is awesome. This is a song I'd love to see live if there's a third tour." Yeah. The, uh, yeah. I actually have somewhat. Well, they'll uh, always play this live. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but the, will there be another album and tour? I I, I kind of have information on that, and it's. Mm, yeah. I don't know. So, but anyway, uh, yeah, this is this is this is a huge song, dude, and it's you know, definitely one of my favorites on the record. So, um, all right. Well, moving on to the third track, which is the first song that they released. We have Signs of the Time. And this was a kind of a weird song for me because when they released this song to the public, I was kind of surprised. This was not what I was expecting at all. And but I thought it was cool. And yet, you know, having gone through the full record, like this is not this is probably lower. If I if I had to rank the songs in terms of which ones are my favorite, this one might be a little bit low on the list. Because I like a bunch of the other stuff more than more than this one, but um, you know, my first note, I was kind of surprised that this was the first single instead of coming home, but they probably wanted something proggy out there rather than something a little more straight ahead, so that you know people knew what they were getting. Because obviously, you know, the the first thing they want to do is cater to the Dream Theater audience more than likely. Um, the atmospheric part in the middle is absolutely killer, um, and I think Bumblefoot's playing really has a way of making these parts stand out and not go in, in kind of a standard melodic direction that you might be expecting. He does a lot of really unexpected stuff, you know, and I think that goes back to what you were talking about, you know, in Coming Home, he's got some of those interesting little parts there. And then um, this is also, you know, like I was mentioning that, mentioning, you know, that chattery guitar stuff that he does. This is the first example of him really doing that. Um you know, with that thimble and doing that weird thing. So um, very cool tune. I like it. But again, I, you know, I don't dislike it. I'm not I'm not disrespecting it at all. But I, there's there's other songs that I prefer. So that having been said, what do you think about Signs of the Time? Easy song title to get confused, right? Signs of the Time. <laughs> so I guess we're thinking Sign of the right. Times, yep. Prince, Queensryche. Uh yeah, I don't know how proggy this is. It's just really heavy. Um, I like what's cool about this song is the keyboards are doing all these high pitched squeals that basically mimic a guitar harmonic, which yeah. that's something cool. And we, and I think you touched on before, and and even when we 
uh, tried to do an interview with, with Derek, and we have, we're having some technical things going on. But it's stuff you said and stuff he reiterated. He approaches playing keyboard solos like it's an electric guitar, you know. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I yeah I love the huge fat organ on the course, and then even on top of that, there's a, a higher pitched synth Moog type sound, kind of kind of squealy, kind of eerie-ish almost. But that's going on on top of that too, here and there, and it sort of fills it out. But uh, yeah, I'd probably a weird choice for a single, um, you know, for the first single. But uh, I I don't I don't mind it as a ta- as a song. Yeah, I I think the chorus is definitely what. Uh what sets it apart you know it's it's you know because boom 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 you know that kind of thing yep and uh you know and then but then you get the you know the hold on you get that that kind of thing going on with the chorus which is really cool so um by the way if you guys watching live i apologize my internet is doing the glitchy thing so at least the audio is good but you know they can't all be winners can they (laughs) so um but yeah, I you know the chorus definitely sets this one apart, and I'm I'm with you. I th- I think it's more heavy than than anything else. You know, it, it isn't quite as proggy as some of the other stuff. So, um, you know, but I I think I think that's kind of cool. But again, I there's other songs that I would that I would prefer. Uh, Kale disagrees. Kale says "Signs of the Time" is probably my favorite in the album. Heavy, bouncy, well-sung, another great chorus. I really love the live version where they extend the solo and do a Bumblefoot lyric right after. Yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, Kale, let's be honest. Anything they do live is kick-ass. So. <laughs> yeah, this, th- but this one definitely is something that, you know, as Brian said, you know, benefits from that live environment. So I agree with you there. Uh, moving on to track number four, we have Labyrinth. And uh, this is, you know, starts out, you know, again with, you know keys, which is right up your alley, so that's good. Um, I think this is one of the more one of the most melodic songs on the record in terms of, you know, at the very least the verses and choruses. Uh, you know the rhythms are cool. You know it's got some of that chugging going on in there. Um, the middle part is interesting to me because it's one of those, it's it's one of those changes that so many prog bands try to do where they just make a complete left turn. And it almost never works, you know. It, it just it just comes off poorly. It doesn't it doesn't mix. But and this one sounds like that, but it does work. They they end up making it work, and it the song almost has two choruses. Do, do you kind of get that feel? I almost feel like there's almost two choruses to this song. Yep. So and I I, I like that and I think this. For me, where do you stand on this? I think this might be kind of a good gateway song for someone looking to get into Sons of Apollo. Uh, I think it has some of the catchy noodling on the record because their noodling tends to be kind of weird, whereas on this one, I think it's like more catchy. And so I think this has a lot of elements that people you know, would like if they're just trying to get into the band and get a feel for what what they're about. Well, we've talked about this song before, and I don't remember what the context was, but this is this is definitely my favorite SOA song of all time. Uh, I love the driving strings to start the song. Uh, the chorus with that huge fat synth sound that bum 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 bum. It's very very ELP, and I don't mean Emerson Lake and Palmer. I mean the Emerson Lake and Powell. It's the mid to late '80s feel with the stuff like 
touch and go the score from the from that album where they had cozy powell on drums really that sound is just a dead on what keith emerson was doing on some of those songs just a huge giant fat brass synthy you know thing that 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 almost that borderline adds almost a third course the way that 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 what fits in there melodically yeah um but yeah i mean this this is just a great driving song that builds and builds on itself and it's a couple little cool breakdowns here and i just i just love that keyboard course thing because you just don't you don't see it coming from anywhere based on the rest of the song yeah this definitely like i say it, it's it has a pretty major left turn but i think that that you know they, they pull it off it makes it really cool and you know of course at the end they go back to the you know we'll call the call the first chorus um so i, I just think this is a really well-crafted song it, it, it goes right up against you know right up against being like oh man it's a little ham-fisted and stops it doesn't tumble over that line which is really cool because it just kind of keeps your ear you know on edge a little bit which which is fun i, I like when songs do that so uh kale man you are all over this one he's a big fan of this record he says <laughs> he says labyrinth loses me a bit parentheses ironic it all works fine but from where the album starts and where it will go this just isn't for me i probably need to give it another go though see i see if, if labyrinth is the one that you would kind of like be like nah. like i was saying earlier kale i think for me it'd be signs of the time I think that's the one that I would have that kind of reaction to. So, uh, moving on, we have track number five, another one of these shorter, more concise, like single style songs. Uh, we have "Alive." What are your thoughts on "Alive"? You know, this is like borderline '90s alt rock guitar here. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the, just like a, I mean, this could be on an Incubus album, right? I'm not even. I'm. I'm not saying yeah. that in a negative way. Um, yeah, I guess this is the only one on here. This feels like maybe something that would have been more on on one of Soto's solo type of albums. Um, there's a cool simplicity to it, you know. I always hate using that word, and we think of the the greatest example is for Dream Theater, probably Wither, right? Yeah, two different songs, but similar kind of vibe is in terms of what I'm trying to relay here. Um, riff wise, I think it's weaker, but again, this is one of those. Uh, Jeff Scott Soto's vocals, as they often do, they can transcend a song into something bigger, bigger than it maybe even deserves, based on, you know, sort of the riffs and 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 the rest of what's going on with it. But you know, you don't need every song to be. That's another thing about this album. I think every song is a little bit different. Um, I don't know if it fits together necessarily. Um, in general, but going song to song the way it does doesn't bother me, which is strange, you know, I guess to say. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's only like this one's barely, I think, four minutes. But uh, I, I really like really like the vocals on this, and uh, I think Jeff sells it well. Yeah. I, I agree with you about, you know, his vocal. It's, you know, it's it's like that quiet, clean vocal at the start, but he's he's not doing it clean. It's He's got grit to it, even though it's like, kind of like you know breathy and more you know emotional in terms of performance i i think that sounds awesome that's very unique um it, it's a very underrated aspect of his voice i think um you know and and you know when you said it's like 90s alt rock yeah i have i would agree with that because two words that i used um you know for this you know i i well two words and then kind of a comparison but i said dark and brooding kind of like a grunge era rock song you know, so I would agree with you there. 
Um, I think there's a lot of great melodies and stuff, some great choices. Um, the keyboard solo after the second chorus is just quintessential Derek Sherinian, and it kicks ass. So I love that. Um, and then breaking it down into that you know clean guitar part, the really kind of just like atmospheric thing for the guitar solo after that just was beautiful. I mean, th this is like... I guess if I was going to describe one of the songs on this record as beautiful, this would be it. There, this one, I think, is the moodiest and, you know, I mean, I just use this word, so I hate to beat the dead horse, but atmospheric. I think this is the moodiest and most atmospheric song on the record, and I, and, and I like it. And again, I, th I think it, you know, again, kind of like Coming Home and later Divine Addiction, it's a little shorter, a little more easier to digest. And, I, you know, we talked about, you know, God of the Sun maybe not being the best opener. And maybe they could have reworked the track listing, but in, I, I, I think the track listing actually works pretty damn well, because you know every couple songs they've got one of the easier to digest ones. It's not like, you know, it's not like they put the three simple ones at the end and there's like six just prog, you know, monstrosities ahead of it. It's it's like yeah. you know prog song. Okay, here's one you can get. Here's two prog songs. Okay, here's another one you can get into easily. Like, so I thought you know this was a good point in the album to put this one so um I, I like it it's one of my favorites on the album moving on to track number six we have lost in oblivion uh this one for some reason every time it starts out i just i just think of let's get ready to rumble <laughs> like i don't know why but that was my very first reaction to it when i heard it the first time and i always think that but um for me, I just love the frenetic energy that's pretty much going on throughout the whole song. Uh, it's definitely, you know, a very unique feel for the album. This is the only song that really has that on here. Um, there's some really weird guitar fills pre and post verse. Uh, so, you know, speaking back to what you had mentioned before about coming home. So, you know, Bumblefoot's kind of shining on this one in parts, I think. Um, and this one has a bunch of like really odd noodling. It's almost like they were just in the room like, hey, look what I can do all at the same time and just kind of, you know, bouncing around. And then you get to the chorus and it totally keeps it from going off the tracks. It's like totally it's totally an anchor for all this weirdness going on. And this is crazy energy. So I, I really like this song for that for that reason. It, it's very unique in terms of the the rest of the material and it offers some different things and but it still has that huge chorus so i think this is a cool song man i think it's you know i think it's interesting i like this one what about you yeah some similar thoughts um you know the let's get ready to rumble thing you know anytime you start a song with this it sounds like an air raid basically this fake air <laughs> yeah. raid sounds like i don't yeah. know I, I love like when like electronic like edm music like uses those and get these drum machines behind it or whatever and oh there's always something cool about that yep but uh yeah i mean this is a really heavy and uh, i don't know can't remember what the word you used was but i have heavy and very discordant type of a chugging riff here yep um I've, I've used the word dissonant multiple times i guess i'll use it again but uh dissonant discordant uh heavy is you know i, I love the course on this one it's kind of like you said there's a huge hook in the course and that's sort of it's, I don't want to say saves it, but uh, but helps keep it, you know, helps keep it from being predictable. And uh, this is this is a pretty heavy tune. Uh, I think they played this live, if I don't, if I remember right. And, and I, if I also thought it was pretty damn killer live, but um, my memory could be off on that. So. <laughs> yeah, we should have looked up that set list. It's a killer song anyway, even if I didn't see it live. So. <laughs> live or not, it's a good song. Right. 
<laughs> it would have been great live if they did play it. So. <laughs> Whatever the month, what, what that was, God, that was what February, wasn't it? February was it, of twenty twenty. Was it February first? I think the month had just changed, if I remember right, because it was less. Th- I know it was less than two months before everything shut down. Yeah, it was like the, the first first week of February. Yeah. God, that was man, that was crazy. Standing outside in that super cold ass weather, and man, oh man. Well, let's that talk was... too. Like I was a complete idiot. I'm, you know, stop me, please, before. I say <laughs> right. But you got to see. You got to go see this tour at House of Blues. And you're like calling no. me, like, dude, get down here. And I was like, eh, I don't know. Blah, blah. No, it wasn't. No, this. I, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. You said this tour. I thought you were talking about uh, MMXS. Yeah, I saw. I saw their first tour. Yeah, at House of right. Blues. Yeah, yeah, it was. Whew. And th- there couldn't have been more than like four or five hundred people there. It was. It was just nobody in the balcony. Really, it was just the floor. And it was. Well, uh, this is like way before we ever even dreamed of doing a podcast. You know, oh yeah, talking four years before that or whatever. Yeah. It was so weird because I was just like looking around, like, man, how? I, I I honestly thought with Sons of Apollo that the Dream Theater audience would really latch onto this a lot more than they did, and I can't figure out why. And unless it's because it is darker, and maybe people don't want that, I I don't I don't know. It's probably so. not quite proggy enough for the the total nerds, you know, and maybe lyrically, like you know. I love Jeff Scott Soto, but, you know, lyrically, it's not the same, you know, you're not going to get the same type of thematic stuff that you're going to get when the guys in Dream Theater take turns writing lyrics, you know? Yeah. All right. I can see that. Uh, So we basically have more discussion about the first Sons of Apollo tour than we probably will have with uh, track seven, Figaro's Whore. Um, this, This just feels like he was jamming before he had to go into, you know, the intro for Divine divine addiction i mean it's cool it's just you know uh Sherinian playing some organ stuff and just kind of more of a classical type of a presentation um when he usually is much more of a rock presentation but i mean it's cool it's just a little piece of music not much to say i mean you're the keyboard guy so you'll probably have more insight into it than i will no i don't really know why it's two separate things i mean it's that that classical Phrygian Egyptian kind of mode thing, but it's a huge distorted Hammond B3 sound. Um, yep. You know, it's a obvious nod to Deep Purple, John Lord, which shocker leads to. I'll just go right into it. I mean, yeah. this <laughs> divine addiction. This is this is a love letter to Deep Purple. It's not. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. But this is right. This is really right in Derek's wheelhouse because you know a lot of the Black Country Communion stuff is just full of chock full of organ. I mean, the majority of the songs have the have the big fat organ stuff in there. Right. Uh, I love the organ solo near the end. There's a very cool thing in there if you're a if you're a Boston fan, uh, not like the Celtics and all that, but the fans. <laughs> nice. But there's a really cool homage to, to homage. Is it uh, is it homage or homage? Whatever homage. you want it to be, I'm, I'm always yeah. I've ever heard homage. I've heard hom. I think it's homage, know. but to Boston, yeah. the song Boston foreplay long time. There's this really cool uh, key, uh, organ keyboard solo, and and he's playing that riff. Um, it's a really key musical part of the Boston song. But anyway, he kind of plays the riff a couple times. Right. Uh, the only thing that's really not deep purple is is when you get towards the end and you got all this double time and, and double bass stuff going. Yeah, yeah, I mean deep purple like Ian Pace, drummer. I mean he was, he was a super splashy hi hat machine. So let's so, <laughs> so yeah. when it gets to that part, I kind of go, okay, this isn't deep purple. But you know, I think what's cool is these guys. You know, they 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 wear some of their 
influences on their sleeves, you know, and then they just put their own spin on it. And that's really, I think that's really all you want most of your favorite bands and artists and solo guys to do, really. You know, it's like, hey, you know, go ahead and play the stuff that inspired you and then put your own spin on it. You know what I mean? Like that that's yeah. kind of, I think, what everyone sort of wants to do that's that's an artist, you know, and you've done your your share of original stuff and i'm sure you probably felt the same but uh yeah totally but uh yeah it's, it's just a great cool rocking song <laughs> chris aiken it's ham edge if neely says it <laughs> nice nice inside joke for any of you classic metal show fans there <laughs> oh my god yeah this song dude i love this song i think this might be my favorite one on the record um obviously you know we touched on it you know the intro is deep purple all the way uh the the chorus i think is awesome i love this chorus because it's got a kind of a higher vocal for jeff scott soto but it's also got all that space with just like the it's you know basically there's drums and organ as he's singing and then you know the bass and guitar kind of like drop out for a bit of it and um i love that it's it's very unique and oh my god it's like and when Derek, or uh, not Derek Shreen, excuse me, when, when Bumblefoot plays that intro riff on the guitar, that's just nasty. Oh my god! And and you nailed it, man. Like to, to me, this song is just a total jam. And then at the end, like they've got like probably you know a good you know forty percent of the song is the end. It, it sounds like they recorded it just live. You know, it sounds like what a band would do ending a song live instead of ending it. They're they're kind of you know digging into some riffs and just doing like an open jam. And I I love that feel of this. This has such a live feel to it. And I have seen this one live, and it kicks ass. <laughs> it's really really cool. So um, I really like this one. Uh, Kale, kind of a good insight. It says Divine Addiction equals Viper King's older better cousin. Uh, definitely Viper King. I can see that. <laughs> I don't know about. I don't know if I would agree with you on better. I I really like Viper King, so maybe it's just me. But um, I I won't argue. I won't argue the point. I just think they're both great tunes. Uh, JG three checking in, man. Good to see you. Uh, he says, "Hey guys, hope you are doing well. Love me some Sons of Apollo. Well, you came to the right show. Came to the right show, Jay. So, um, all right. Well, moving on. Then we get to the album closer." the aptly titled opus maximus uh i don't have a lot of notes on this one dude like i i think it's a really good instrumental but could it be considered a little bit too long i mean it's it's what it's 10 minutes and 36 seconds or something like that and yeah i mean i get i get that the outro is like a minute and a half of it kind of like just ringing out or whatever and you know uh, but the second half of the tune is totally ripping. I mean, they just really start getting into a groove about halfway through. But I don't mind it, and I think it's good. I just wonder, you know, what, what do you think? Is it too long? Could they have shortened it any? Well, <laughs> so we're at the 45-minute album, 45-minute uh, mark roughly, right? And only okay. Mike Portnoy. <laughs> hey, <laughs> let's end an album with a 10-minute, 36 seconds instrumental, instrumental. <laughs> right. i mean nobody else on the planet would say let's do this i i don't I, so here i'll just read my notes it's super dark brooding um it's another symphonic thing there's some cool string parts uh there's a there's pretty cool mellow part in the middle I, I think for this song the problem i have it, it goes in 10 different directions by the time you're done there's nothing i can hang on to and and go Oh man, yeah. I love this. You know, I, I don't know. 
this is Mike. He, he shows off, I think, which is what he really wants to do. He's showing off like crazy in the last seven and a half minutes, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, the end, like, really, I put the term dive bombs, because that's what it feels like. You're dive bombing into this chaotic tailspin, and he's getting to do all of his huge accents. Yep. And I, I don't know what to think about the song overall. <laughs> I just have, it's it's tough to try to grab onto anything, because the second you do, you know, it's like it's ripped out of, you're getting ripped in four different directions. And yeah. When I talk about the bad, the things that can go wrong with the supergroup, especially when they're all incredible musicians, this kind of turns into an example of that. <laughs> all right. It's sort of some of the stuff we see by the time we're at the, is it the third or the fourth Lick, Liquid Tension experiment album? You know, you third I, one, yeah. You, you, there's kind of only so many things you can do, and you sort of this is what. You, this is what the part that scares me is that you end up with something like this. And, and so, yeah, I, you know, this, this thing just doesn't really do it for me. Um, cause, especially cause I, you know, I've just had a, a really cool time with the first 45 minutes. Kind of, kind of a bummer, I think in terms of just sort of wrapping it up and, uh, you know, sort of like trying to put a bow tie or, you know, that, accent on it which is you know the irony because all all that is is just those massive accents that he's doing yeah with the whole band and banging away but well, that's my I thoughts on it <laughs> well i think you make a good point when you say you know that there's not really a lot to hang on to i i because because what i remember most about the song is how the second half they're basically just going for it I, I don't remember the riffs or the notation. I just remember like aggressive noodling and not in a bad way. Like I enjoy it, but it's not okay. I can sing a bunch of the riffs back to you, you know, whereas you get something like, you know, let's take the song Octavarium, for example, like it's 24 minutes, which is insane, but you could sing so much of it. Um, Enigma machine is only like five minutes or something. And it's, you know, I could I could sing a bunch of those parts. Uh, Chastity Crawley, <laughs> she says, Dream Theater, Stream of Consciousness, over 11 minutes. 10 minutes isn't bad. See, but Stream of Consciousness doesn't really do enough to justify 11 minutes. Like, at least this one's kind of all over the map. So I, if I was to say which one deserves to be a long instrumental, I would give the nod more to uh, Opus uh, Maximus over Stream of Consciousness, I, I would say. I mean, K Kale's comment there, if Portnoy actually said this was... Dance of Eternity superior than he, <laughs> yeah. That he maybe he started drinking again because. <laughs> oh, Mike's off the wagon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's very distinct melodic elements going on in Dance of Eternity throughout the entire song. Yeah, and even the stuff that's not super melodic is still memorable and has riffs and hooks. This this is just tearing off all over the place and it never never lets up and i don't know you're just pretty damn tired by the end of it yeah know? yeah kale kale's full comment was ugh opus maximus was way too overhyped and completely undeservingly this blows i remember portnoy saying this was dance of eternity superior and by god it isn't uh jg3 is is on, on the same page with you guys he says love him but portnoy sometimes overhypes things remember black clouds where he said Imagine an album with Pull Me Under, Learning to Live, A Change of Seasons, Octavarium, and Glass Prison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not a 
Yeah, that's definitely not what black. I mean, clouds I, I love sure. a lot of black clouds, but I think it's 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 a unique album. I don't think it sounds like any of those others at all. Yeah, no, you know I, what I mean. I, I think it's its agree. own entity, which is which is great. But yeah, but uh, yeah, there's there's I mean, just stop the dance of eternity stuff, please. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's just yeah, that's completely insane. I don't care how big of a fan you know he is of his own compositions <laughs> right jg3 is totally against me on this he says i remember from your train of thought podcast but i hard disagree with stream of consciousness great song i i didn't say it's not a good song i just if i if i had to nitpick it i'd be like you know this it's a good instrumental but it's not up there i would say it's just there's not as much meat on that bone and they just drag it out too long i think so um yeah but so there we go that is uh our deep dive into the debut record by sons of apollo psychotic symphony overall man like i said at the beginning i i love it and going back to it several times to do the deep dive was it was a great time i got to rediscover an album i hadn't heard in a bit because i've 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 kind of been more into mmxx which we are going to do obviously coming up in the future uh, I am going to try and see if we can get one of the guys in the band on to deep dive it with us. Who knows if that'll happen, but, um, you know, do or do not, there is no try, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I love this record, dude. I, I I'm, it, it's a bummer that they're not doing more of it and it's not, you know, of all the Portnoy's projects, I wish he would do more sons of Apollo than, you know, winery dogs or, or, or like Neil Morse or something like that. I would, I would love, I would love to have more sons of Apollo. So Kale says I'd give this a seven, and I, I I kind of agree. I think it's a six and a half to seven um, on its own. Hearing these songs live pushes it to a solid nine easily. Yeah, that's that's my that's my take on it. it easily easily pushes it to a nine. Yeah, I, I I think it was such an interesting decision for them to do a live record when they only had one album. And it was, you know, of course, with an orchestra. Um, the cover songs they played were amazing. I loved the fact that they did Diary of a Madman on Live Applaudiv. That was that was cool as hell. Um, and like you said, like I, I think to see this, to hear these songs is one thing, but to see it live, you're just like, son of a bitch, man. Wow, I mean, it's, yeah. whoo, man. Like, just unbelievable. It's, man. It, so if you guys are a fan of this band and they do put out another record and they do a tour, whatever you do, Make sure you go catch catch them live because it is just outstanding. It is a fantastic show, and uh, like I said, I, I saw one show each on each of the tours that they did, and it was whew, man, oh man, was it a good time! So, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. I, I'm definitely a big fan. I'm kind of bummed that there might not be any more. Um, this is not on record anywhere that I remember, but uh, I I know that this was kind of a comment, but. Uh, Portnoy was a little bummed out about having to go back to playing like club size venues and stuff. And they, they wanted to get on, um, they want, they wanted to get on some bigger tours to get more exposure and it just didn't work out for them that way. And so after that second tour, they were kind of like, mm, I don't know. So, um, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if they do something else, but man, I would love it if they did. Well, as we've said before, I mean, it's really, especially now in this this climate it's really coming down to financial and economic i mean they they're not going to yeah. sell a ton of albums you know they probably wouldn't necessarily have sold a ton of albums 
20 years ago, maybe a decent amount, but especially now they're not going to. It's just the way things are, and the cost of touring. And these guys, none of them live near anywhere near each other. Yeah, Fortnoy's in five million different things, <laughs> and, and I think right. it's probably a lot easier for him to just pick up with, you know, Billy and Richie and the three of them just just go out and do what they do. You know, and they're all right here. And Je- I think Jeff, he lives overseas, doesn't he? Does he live in like Spain or something? Or I don't, I don't think so. Only because I know when Aikens interviewed him, I don't. I don't oh, okay. think it was that I big of a time, to, but don't quote don't did. quote me on that. Like, okay, I know at one time he did. Maybe he lives here now, but uh, but yeah, I mean, trying to get these guys all together and, and you know, I I don't know, and just and then they're just knowing, like, look, we're doing all this, we're spending all this time, not that they're doing it to make money, but you know, you can't do Bulgaria, okay? Uh, yeah, I think his wife. Thank you, Kim. From, his wife is from somewhere around there. Um, yeah, but. Uh, yeah, I mean it sucks, you know that this this whole economic and this this music model and this this way of of, of marketing and you know especially for guys that are kind of let's face it, none of these are young guys either, you know. So it's it's just hard, man. Where's the where's the where's the financial incentive to do this? It's it it blows. <laughs> well, I mean, you keep seeing all these articles. I mean, Kale Kale's a perfect example. You know, he doesn't get dream theater shows because it's not cost effective for them to do it. Um, and you see all these bands continuously like canceling European tours. I mean, Anthrax has done it a couple times and they flat out say like logistically, it's just we can't afford this crap. Like it's it's a bitch to get over there because everything's like triple the cost that it used to be. And even though, you know, metals, you know, has an incredible following over there. It's not like you're going to get tripled the audience and triple the merch sales to justify what you would get. You know. All right. Kale, you're being corrected. Aiken says that Soto lives in L.A. That's what I thought. I thought he was in America. I was going to say, because when, when Aiken interviewed him, it wasn't like, okay, well, I got to do this at like 2 in the morning or some crazy shit like that. Did he used to live in, uh, Chris, do you know, he, do he used to live outside of the U.S.? I thought he did, but just curious he if he knew. So I, there a couple quick things that we wanted to talk about after the deep dive that, you know, we've been going, doing some music stuff. Um, JG3 mentions that the live sons of apollo blu-ray he loves how it was filmed and that's a perfect segue to some music news that came out this week that is pertinent to something that i've been checking out um that amazing dio documentary that brian and i talked about that we went to see in theaters uh called dreamers never die that is finally getting released on physical and and streaming so um i think it's september it's coming out and um that's awesome because i'm buying the shit out of that um it's been I just streaming for a while actually well you ha- well you have to, you, it's on showtime i i did yeah. like the whole free seven day trial just so i could watch yep. it but that one is um it, it's not the one that has like the extra 20 minutes of footage the uh, one they're putting out actually and, there, and there's actually some some meaty stuff that they leave out of it hmm. um but that documentary is awesome which then sent me down kind of like a Ronnie James Dio rabbit hole. So I've been listening to some of his music and everything. And um, I'm a big Audible guy. Like, I, I have an Audible account with probably, I think, over 200 books in it by now. And with my credit last month, I was like, you know, I'm going to listen to the, the Ronnie James Dio uh, biography. And I tell you what, man. I have never, and I'm sure they're out there that do this, but me personally, I've never listened to a book that just stops right before the shitty part of a guy's career. Like, 
it was I think it was like eight hours long or something, and it's really it's detailed and talks about you know him growing up and a whole bunch of shit about Elf and Rainbow and all that kind of stuff. And so you're going through his career, and whatnot, you know. Wendy Dio, you know, pipes up here and there with her two cents, and then he gets through the Sacred Heart tour and you know the whole you know we're stars the, that whole recording, and then all of a sudden the, the book ends, and I'm like, wait, what? Because obviously we know that after Sacred Heart is when it kind of like started to get into the records that weren't as popular. And then, of course, the 90s hit and metal, you know, got shit on. And and then he has that resurgence and stuff later, uh, especially, you know, with Heaven and Hell and whatnot. But yep. it's the, the whole thing just stops after Sacred Heart and we're stars. And I'm like, dude, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, why? Why not tell the rest? Like, it's an interesting story. And. It was just funny to me. I was like, "God damn it!" And the the funny part was that I was listening to it. Um, I my wife always goes with me to all of my shows out of town because the band I sing in is out of town. I've said that many times on the show. Well, this past weekend she couldn't go, so I was listening to the book on the way to Lima on Friday, and then on the way back. So I'm like, "Okay, I'm you know at the We're Stars thing, whatever." And then I get in the car Monday morning to, to listen to the book. I get through about five minutes. It's like. This has been an audio presentation of Rainbow in the Dark, right? I'm like, what? So basically, I, w- I was like five minutes away from finishing it when I got home, and I was like, wait, that can't be it. And I looked down to see if I had actually hit, accidentally hit skip on a bunch of chapters. Like, nope. That's so, weird. Oh, my God. So, yeah, but it, I mean, it is good, though. If you like the early half of uh, Dio's career, it's a good book, so. That was uh, that was I definitely. Feel, a good I listen. feel a Dio, uh, best of Dio episode coming possibly <laughs> in the future. Dude, the guy's voice is insane, and it's I I just everyone says like how nice he is and everything and um yeah Kale no not even a mention of Magica it literally after after the whole worst stars thing and the whole Vivian Campbell you know that whole blow up it's the book ends so uh, yeah but. Uh, yeah, so that's what I was doing kind of musically. And then um, uh, speaking of musically, I, I'll actually be seeing Dream Theater here in, in a week and a half. So anybody listening to this or watching this, if you have tickets to the Newport, Kentucky show, I will be there. I, I'll be front row. And uh, if you want to meet up, just hit me up on Facebook and or, or email us at talkingintoinfinity at gmail.com. And uh, we'll meet up and grab a beer or something before the show. It'll be fun. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, what 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 have you been doing? I know we we were kind of getting into some music stuff, you know, before the show. So, well, um, I did go to Hilton Head. Spent a week there. That was awesome. Uh, That's not vacation. music, Brian. What are you doing? No, uh, <laughs> I am going on the Monsters of Rock cruise in March. Bucket list uh, type thing. Uh, the biggest headliners, and I don't know if they're going to be adding any more people this quote-unquote big, are, are basically Extreme, Queensryche, Joe Satriani, uh, Ace Freely, and then you have sort of the, I guess you call them 80s, maybe lower-rung bands that were popular, not so much anymore, but right. we're big. we got Firehouse, Slaughter, Faster Pussycat, um, can't remember who oh spread eagle who's up i'm dying to see them and tnt <laughs> tnt actually i love actually i love both those bands believe it or not who the hell is spread eagle oh chris will tell you about spread eagle great, <laughs> great, great singer man great singer uh forgot his name right now chris what's uh, the singer from spread eagle 
Uh, but yeah, so I've been I've been wanting to do this for a while. This is, I believe, the twelfth one we've had, tenth or the twelfth or something like that. I think it's the twelfth. And we've talked before. None of these guys are getting any younger. Not all the bands have all the original members, except for Extreme. They probably are the only one, to be honest. Um, yeah, and you just you know it's uh, March second through the seventh. Goes out of Miami, uh, goes into the Bahamas, or one other st- one other port of call during that. But it's mostly just um, just be cool to see a bunch of these bands and hang out with some people. And uh, you know the the funny part about it is I'm staying with a, my buddy of mine and his wife in a room that's about the size of of you know probably the bathroom <laughs> i was gonna i was i was wondering if you're gonna bring up bring that up you sent me the picture it's like yeah, are, so, are you going to enjoy your closet or yeah. stateroom <laughs> so it's like the two of them and if you're watching a video the, their bed's here and my bunk bed that like, comes out of the ceiling right above them so that ought to be interesting <laughs> so but they you know i i did get a room um that's not on the interior so that everyone said get try to get exterior room if you can and i guess you know from what everyone's saying you're going to spend five to seven hours a night in your room sleeping that's it you know nothing else yeah so so there, there's an episode right there we can do a full uh, documentation of my adventures and <laughs> that's and, awesome uh, ray west that's it see yeah. I, I told you aiken would like this spread eagle rules yeah they do they, from what i've the been lead, seeing the, yeah the lead singer of spread eagle is ray west okay yeah and from what i've been seeing uh, of some of their recent tours he's still sounding pretty decent but uh well, that's that's what I was gonna say is that like from the list of bands, like obviously there's enough bands that you know, but thankfully there's a lot of them that still sound really good. Like when you brought up Firehouse, holy shit! Like I know some people make fun of them because it does get cheesy, but right. God damn, CJ Snare, he was amazing back in the day, and like I I opened for them in um, I want to say '99, and I mean they were warming up with Seven Bridges Road during Soundcheck. I was nice. We walked in. I'm here. I was. I'm going. What in the hell? And they still sound phenomenal. Yeah. So I mean, you know, obviously we know Queensrÿche is 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 killer. Extreme Satriani yeah. is just banging. So I mean, yeah. that's that's a strong lineup, man. It's that's gonna be cool. I mean, I'm I'm hyped to see Ace too. He always has like a really young, good good band with him. Um, yeah, I, I forgot the name of. They're 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 guys that play in in Nashville all the time. I can't. The rock and roll something they're called. Maybe Aiken knows the name of that one too. Well, rock I think and roll was, experience or something they're called. Yeah, it was like I, if if it's still the same guys. I remember like he he did some European tour of some small th- something like that with with Gene Simmons and Gene had this band and then Ace had his band and Gene's band was so good that after the thing he, Ace fired his entire band and hired Gene. <laughs> yep, like, that's that that's them. Yeah, it's like the rock and roll whatever, and they could basically yeah. cover any song from nineteen sixty to to today or whatever you know. Um, but yeah, so I'm looking for, you know, hopefully Ace makes it, you know, another year. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. so, uh, Aiken wants to know, isn't Mangini the original drummer of Extreme? I honestly don't know. No, he was, um, he w- was the fourth record. Wasn't that the one he was on? He's on waiting for the punchline. Waiting think, for the punchline. The only, line. Is the only right. one I believe he's on. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did one record with them. Uh, JG3, I'm not bringing the comments up, but he's also going to Dream Sonic in Philadelphia. Uh, and he has a concern about the show. I, I think, <laughs> I think everybody has that concern, uh, JG three. But I, I will not publicize it on the show just because, um, you know, we want to keep things positive here. But um, I, I do want to touch on a comment earlier that I think it was him that was posting about the cost of merch being expensive, and it's like, yeah, it is expensive, guys. But look, these guys are not getting an income stream. I mean. 
Yeah. Let's try to do the math on the show we saw, Sons of Apollo. So we they sold out at what three hundred tickets? Yes, three thirty five. And it was what thirty dollars a ticket? Yeah, rounded up. I think it was like twenty seven. <laughs> so if, okay. if you, even if you just round up to. So let's you know. let's put it at an even ten grand just on ticket sales. That doesn't count yeah. running the venue. That doesn't count paying the sound guy, you know, or bringing the your own sound. Well, and I think that the cost of a tour bus, I think, is somewhere around fifteen to fifteen grand a month in itself, or something insane like that. Even mm-hmm. if you can get a cheap one, the cost of gas is insane. It's just like I don't know how these guys can make money unless they price that or they sell the autographs. Because they're just the album sales are just are not there, and even when they are, my understanding is they're not anywhere near enough to make money. So no, no. Hey, Jay, Jay's comment, by the way, is you know why do bands overprice merch so much? If they want to make money, they should drop prices to something people would actually buy. I don't even entertain merch at most shows, unfortunately. Yeah, Brian, I'm with you. It's like, and I, I think the problem is, is that so many people don't understand. Um, and, and not ripping you, JG3. I'm just saying, like, so many people don't understand the business side of things and how much it really costs to do something like this. You know what I mean? Like, I, I have a, one of my buddies, Tony. He was the drummer in my band APG, and now um, he's uh, he's in a nationally touring band called Along Came a Spider. He's been doing that for, God, probably 10 years or more now. But, you know, they do tour, and he tells me, you know, there, there's there's a lot of times where if their guarantee is five hundred bucks, they're in the hole three hundred dollars that day. So, I mean, it, it, it you know, it, and they drive in a shitty beat up RV. You know, they're not doing tour bus or anything like that. I mean, it's the, the cost of things and, and to keep a tour alive is just, you know, it's it's exorbitant anymore. And that's why, you know, when people complain about these paid meet and greets, it's like, well, you know, Brian, to your point, they're not they're not making money off album sales. So they got to make their money somehow. And, you know, to me, that's why, you know, the whole streaming thing, like anytime I love a band, I always buy physical product, even though I do. I I don't listen to it. Like, for example, when Dream Theater puts out a record or Wolfgang Van Halen or Wolfgang might not be a good example because he's loaded because he was in Van Halen. But anyway, like, you know, but, you know, if if I like a band, I'm buying their 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 vinyl or I'm buying their CD or you know, because to me, it's like if you don't spend money on them, they're not going to be able to keep making music. So, yeah, I, I want I want to at least hear new music. You know, I mean, Sons of Apollo that we talked about, excuse me, uh, tonight is is the perfect example. You know, they they these guys are world class musicians and they needed to make more money and play bigger shows to make it viable. And it just wasn't happening. So, I mean, it's you well, know, I, I guarantee you. Probably ninety percent of the shows on that tour, you make more yourself when you do your brother believe me gig than those guys make individually. And, oh yeah, and I probably make close to it if I do a decent dueling piano, sh- you know, of a private, yeah, more of a private type show. I mean, that's just that's just a fact. And, and JG three says, I understand. I want to support bands I love, but after he's right. I mean, the cost of these concerts is getting out of is insane. You know the cost of the concerts themselves and the shirt, and it 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 is insane for the average person, like to to go there and like how can I support this? That the whole thing is just I don't know. The model is really broken right now. I don't know how we're going to fix it. Chris is right. I, I started reading about how now the venues are taking a percentage of merchandise, which is just absolutely insane. I, I don't even know yeah. how that's legal. Like that that just seems 
I guess because you're renting the space inside there too, you know. Yeah. So they want to cut of that. I mean that that just blows my mind. I never knew that was happening. I don't think that's a. I think that's a newer thing that's kind of just started. I could be wrong on that, but no, it's. I mean, it's it's common practice. Um, in, in fact, there was an article about it recently. I want to say on Blabbermouth or somewhere that I was reading, but there's a. It's like thirty percent or something. It said. Is that the yeah, one I the, saw? Industry standard is eighty twenty, from what I've read. Oh my god! But but even still, if if they're taking two dollars out of every ten, let's say you like I'm a hoodie guy. So when we went to Queensrÿche, I spent seventy dollars on a hoodie. Well, Queensrÿche wasn't making that seventy dollars. First of all, you got to pay for the merch itself. So let's say if you get it at bulk, like the hoodie was twenty dollars. So let's say fifty dollars there's profit. Well, the venue is taking twenty percent of that. So the venue's taking ten bucks, so they're only making forty dollars. So it's you know, it, it's just that's why those paid meet and greets, I don't have a problem with people people bitch about those, but I'm like, dude, they've gotta make their money somehow. And it, the ones I will complain about is stuff like, you know, KISS where it's like, Hey man, for like five grand, it's like who the fuck is and especially or, when you don't need that, you know what I mean? Like Supposedly, Stephen Percy Piercy was a hundred dollars. I think it was for this last Monsters of Rock. He was, and I think That's I read bad. I think I read somewhere only four people or seven people or something paid this. Like, <laughs> but you know what though? I mean, you laugh, but think about that. That's another four to seven hundred dollars in his pocket for nothing. Like no yeah, one's taking it. Yeah, that's just like cash in pocket. But the only thing is on that Monsters of Rock cruise, my understanding is all the bands kind of just sort of do it anyway after the shows yeah. or they're walking around for free and leave yeah. it to leave it to Piercy to like <laughs> I gotta milk every last I mean we could go round and round about this, you know. He's he's just gonna keep coming back for more. But <laughs> Oh my god, I was waiting for you to lay it down and start punting it, man. Right. Um well, I mean, dude, but I mean, that's but I mean, for Piercy, I mean, you know, the three P's, that's one of the three P's party, right. paycheck and pussy. That's paycheck, yes. you know, <laughs> like that's, you know, his three P's. He does that. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you're right. The model is broken and it's just it, it it sucks. But unfortunately, it's the reality of it. And, you know, thankfully, I haven't seen shows where it was crazy expensive like you know jay mentioned 60 bucks for a shirt i haven't seen that high of a cost i th- i think the most i paid for just a standard concert shirt in the last few years was when steph and i went to um comerica park in detroit for the guns and roses wolfgang van halen show and i think my wolfgang shirt was like 40 or 45 dollars um but i kind of expected that being a stadium show and you know i mean just and at that point, I had spent so much money on tickets and everything else. I just didn't give a shit. I was like, "I'm getting a damn T-shirt," you know. <laughs> like, um, yeah, Aiken Aiken nails it. He says, "You know, this is not a new practice." He saw it firsthand in 2010 at Blossom on the Poison Dock and Sebastian Bach tour. I mean, the band should be getting a cut of the alcohol sales in because it's their fans there that are buying the alcohol, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, mean, and, and yeah, I mean, I complete, I completely, I. Co- I completely agree with you on that. It's, you know, because they're like, oh, well, you know, you're playing our venue. We should get a cut of that. It's like, yeah, but you have all these people drinking. You're not going to get, you know, a thousand people drinking alcohol if my band is not in your venue. Right. You know, so it's that's crazy. You know, dude, local venues used to do it back in the early 2000s. You know, the the Odeon used to do that with bands. Yeah. And we we told them absolutely not. Like we sell our own tickets. They, like they, you know, they try to take a cut of merch too, or no? Yeah, they 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 try to take a cut oh, of merch, God. and we you know, and and whenever you know, thankfully our band had a big enough draw that right. 
what we would do is I would just flat out tell them no. I was like, look, we're not asking for a cut of the bar, which I'm well within my rights to do. You know, especially at the Odeon, you know, we, we sold it out six times. I mean, that's right. 948 people. And, you know, they, they would let, allow walk-ups. So, it's, you know, easily a 1,000. So I'm like, you're not taking a cut of my merch, man. Like, we, we're putting a 1,000 people in here. Like, for a local band to put a 1,000 people, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm already paying to rent the room. Right. You're making. I'm not taking any of your alcohol sales, which by right I I should ask for that because I I can do that at other venues if I want, but we didn't, and so I'm like, yeah, you're not taking, you know, I mean, and let's be honest, to take a cut of merch from a local band, that's pretty sketchy, but you know, eventually they had to do it because numbers started going down for shows, and um, it's just it, it sucks, man. The whole state of the music industry is just, you know, with album sales going down and. It, it, it's a bummer, dude. And, and you know, Aiken has talked about it on his shows multiple times. And you know, he he says, and and Chris, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He says it's you know people just don't value music the way they used to, because it's so. I guess the word would be disposable because you can just get it anywhere, anytime, anyhow. So you don't have to drive to the record store and, and plunk down fifteen, twenty bucks for the vinyl or the CD. You know, it's you know you could just. Right now, if I want to, if you want to listen, boop boop, pick it up on your phone. There it is. You know, it's people. It doesn't have the same value to people as it did back in the day. Well, and they're not invested at the grassroots level of seeing a local band. Ah, I went and saw those guys play live. You know, twelve, thirteen times. You know, like like yeah. like your band. You know, for instance, you know, before you guys were trying to get the major label deal or whatever. Like, yeah, that just sort of thing just doesn't really exist. It's like, oh, hey, let's do something we think is really cool and then blast it all over, you know, Instagram, you know, or YouTube, you yeah. know, and, it, and it's rather than sort of building that and building that following and, you know, and it's immediately out there. And then, like you said, well, everyone just watched it for free and, you know, God forbid you, you know, you ask somebody to buy the album, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. I, I don't know. Yeah. No, I, but, and th- like I said earlier, that's why I actually purchased <laughs> the stuff. You know, I, I, I pre-ordered the, Wol- uh, the Wolfgang Van Halen album. Um, Made sure to get in and get the autographed one. I thought that was cool, and it wasn't. I don't even think it was extra money. I think it was just like you know the first couple hundred orders you you know autograph them, and so I did that. But I mean, I mean with Dream Theater, like, man, dude, I I definitely order their stuff. I mean, I I, I just I want them to be able to keep making music, and who knows how long, you know, it's going to be going on. I mean, I mean, let's face it, you know, John Petrucci writing the story of the Astonishing is sadly very prescient. You know, it's eventually, especially now we have AI making music. It's like eventually, you know, record companies aren't even going to need people to do the human parts of creativity. It's like we're going to yeah. get Nomax, dude. Like, <laughs> like, like, God damn you, John Petrucci. You totally nailed it. You called it. So, but yeah, it, it sucks. But, you know, I I don't know. It, it's weird. I, I was actually kind of thinking about this the other day and we'll, we'll get out of here in a minute. But. Like I remember, like I, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to see Dream Theater on July 9th, and then I'm taking my wife to see Ann Wilson, uh, less than a week later, on July 14th. And it, I remember back in the day, like if you'd have told me, oh man, you're, you know, you could sit front row or fourth row at all these shows, I would have shit myself. Like, oh my god, really? There's no way, because I was always just getting what I can afford. And now, it's like because these these artists are playing smaller venues like now i can't afford like dream theater i'm front row center and wilson i'm like fourth row right on the aisle uh you know it's it, it's 
it's awesome for people with a little bit of dispo- disposable income. But yeah, the prices for you know the average fan is just you know. We we said it here the the the, the dream theaters the closer to the stage one that's outdoor at at um, Nautica like it's not yep. it's not exactly a, a credible venue that those they're hundred twenty dollars I mean yeah I, you know I I don't know <laughs> and I understand that they that they have to charge that probably because that's what the venue's charging them and you know. I, I don't know. Not to end the show on a downer, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> right. We sound, hopefully, we don't sound like grumpy old get off yeah, our lawn no, guys. I mean, we, but we it's... are we are very excited because we're like what we're coming up on like a month and a half away. Is it even that long? We've got uh, Seven Dust, Wolfgang Van Halen, and Alter yeah. Bridge, and that's you're gonna going. Be yeah, like, you're going to see that. Yep, it'd be a killer show, and you're going to be seeing it too. No, I'm not. You're not. No. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't like Alter Bridge, and I love Wolfgang, but I mean, it, like to pay for like an opener, I, I did it for Guns N' Roses, but dude, I know, he's putting out an album on August fourth, so I know he's going to be doing a headlining tour. I'm just going to wait for that. What so, about the t- the ticket I got you and your wife? Then you're not going. Is that what you're saying? Did you get? Did you buy <laughs> yes. tickets? Yes, you said you're going. I totally. How forgot. much have you been drinking? I, I haven't been joking. Like, barely any. No, I I totally forgot about that. I need to put that. <laughs> I need to put that on my calendar, man. <laughs> what yeah, day I is mean, that? You haven't been in any hurry to pay me for it, so don't worry about it. Oh, I paid for <laughs> tickets to other stuff the last couple of times. Don't give me that. Um, yeah. What day is that? I got to put that on my calendar. <laughs> uh, August something. Okay. Well, that that's helpful. That's yeah. Really helpful. I asked you if you wanted to go, and you said yes. You said yes. Steph wants to go. I totally forgot. <laughs> okay, well I'm going I'm going to Seven Dust Wolfgang Van Halen and Ultra Bridge. So this there we is, go. This is like one of the most amazing podcasts we've ever had. God damn, we're idiots. Uh so JG three and I'll end with this. <laughs> Every time someone says they're going to a concert, Kale's commenting, lucky bastards. <laughs> so JG three says, I got tickets for Tool with a friend for one seventy five. And those seats now are like six hundred bucks a couple weeks after we bought them. Honest, honestly, Jay, I used to do that to fund trips. I did it a bunch of times with Dream Theater, and the, and the most notable one was for the Score Show. I bought uh, two pairs of tickets, and the the nicer ones, I actually I actually took ones a little bit further back because they were about say we were I want to say probably like fifteen rows back where I actually sat and I but I did get like eighth row as well and I ended up um I <laughs> Aiken doesn't like Alter Bridge are you stupid yeah I'm just not it hasn't grabbed me I don't know why I've tried but he hates it so I'll much th- he won't even stay like to see a couple songs <laughs> and Miles is like his wife's favorite singer <laughs> uh, if the wife wants to leave I'm leaving I'll just blame it on her but yeah, no, for the score show, like, I purposely bought an extra pair of tickets. Uh, specifically, no, I knew that show was going to sell out and the demand would be high. So I purposely bought those tickets to pay for my trip to New York City. So uh, I forget, I don't remember what I paid for them, but I know that it ended up, I, I got a little over six times more for them when I resold them. And it pretty much almost 100% funded my entire trip to New York City to go see Score. Nice. So, man. So that's, you know, JG3 should have done that. Buy two pair of tickets and they can hock them and make some money. 
especially for Tool. You know what you should do, uh, uh, Jay, is hack the tickets you have because Tool is just insanely overrated and just not a good band. So you probably shouldn't be going to see them anyway. Monday, I'm, April 24th, 12.48 p.m. <laughs> Steph <laughs> said she'll go with us to Seven Dust and Mammoth Wolfgang Halen. Okay, Me, look. got our seats. We are third row lower bleachers. You, cool. Me, do you have an access account? I assume I should. <laughs> okay, what part of I forgot did you not understand? I, I'm not you, denying it. I said me, I forgot. You had me questioning myself for a minute there. Well, you are in the early stages of dementia most times. But so anyway, <laughs> why don't we jump out of here? Um, thank you guys once again for tuning into another episode of Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater centric podcast. We will be right back here in two weeks, same time at 7:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The date is going to be, let me think, July 12th. It'll be, or no, no, no. It, uh, excuse me, uh, July 13th. It'll be Thursday, July 13th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I will be giving a show review of my experience in Newport, Kentucky. And then we will definitely be talking about something else. I don't have the show topic up in front of me, but I know we've got these things planned out for most of the year. So uh, if you guys would like to send us an idea for something you want us to talk about, just shoot us an email to talkingintoinfinity at gmail.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please click that like button, click that subscribe button, and also the notification bell so that you're notified every single time that we go live. And Brian, it was good to have you back. It was, you know, a month and a half since we've done this or more. And, you know, I miss doing it. So it was, it was a really good time, man. It's good to see you. Yeah, good show. Cool band to talk about. And um, we will for sure probably do a deep dive on the second album at some point. And uh, if we're lucky yep. enough, maybe sometime in the future, a third. Yep, definitely. And, uh, yeah, so guys, in a few weeks, we will see you. Please tune in. Hopefully you guys had a good time. I know we sure did. So as always, everybody, great to see you all in the chat. JG3, Aiken, Kale McLeish, uh, all of our good friends. Thank you so much for hanging out. Chastity Crawley, all you guys, great to see you. And we'll see you on July 13th. And until then, as always, carpe diem.